Welcome to Lunch Break, a special weekly series of the Eternal Entrepreneur that gives you bite-sized pieces of wisdom on how to build a functional faith and business. Each episode unpacks a short, actionable topic you can put into practice this week. Let's get into it. Well, hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for Lunch Break. I am Pierce Brantley, co-host of the Eternal Entrepreneur. I hope everyone has had a restful weekend and is ready to hit it hard this Monday. I'm actually recording this on a Friday morning. And for that reason, we're going to get a little philosophical. I might start something new. Philosophical Friday. What do you think about that? I'm going to have to talk to Joe about this. Philosophical Friday. Hashtag. I want to come back to a subject that we've talked about before, but I think it's so critical as Christian entrepreneurs to meditate on this topic. And we're going to talk about the topic of innovation. And it is really deep on my heart to speak about this morning. It's been actually on my heart all week. And I think it's because there is a wide, dynamically different approach to how the world should approach innovation and the fruit of innovation. And then how we as Christians approach innovation and the fruit therein. So what is innovation specifically? Innovation is simply adding value and creating something new where something new hasn't been before. You can innovate on a new net new idea. You can also innovate on something that's already existed. So like Uber, for instance, innovated on the taxi system. The taxi system innovated on horse and carriage. You look at innovation specifically in the delivery sector. I've actually written about this for a couple of different papers. And if you look at DoorDash or like Instacart, they are innovating on the, the hidden need of the consumer's desire to put food on their table, to create meals. Kroger, Walmart, any kind of grocery store that you know you can think of, HEB for you crazy kids, those companies, they don't actually address the actual need of the consumer, which is to put food on the table. No one actually wants to shop. What people want to do is to eat and to have a good dinner. And so DoorDash and Instacart and these light companies are moving out the middleman. Grocery stores are the middleman help you get what you want. That's innovation. That's helping people solve a problem. Now, not all innovation needs to be disruptive. Often, we think that in order to be innovative, what we need to do is actually shift the structure of a market. That innovation is meant for top-end type disruption, where you are shifting entire segments and new and and unseen ways. If you have a mind, an aspiration to do that, but that type of innovation is very, very, very intentional. You look at the iPhone when that came out or Amazon cloud services when that came out. Those actually, believe it or not, were very intentional decisions made in boardrooms, made in planning sessions to go and pursue those things. One of my favorite stories 
of uh, from Simon Sinek. He's doing a keynote for Apple. Apple uh, has hired him to talk. He's in the back of a black car talking to one of the executives. And he's actually just spoken to Microsoft, not but just a few weeks before. And they gave him a Zune. This is back when Zunes were cool, when everyone was going after the MP3 market space. And they, he was like, and he really liked the Zune. And I actually remember the Zune. The Zune had a cool screen. And he thought this thing was pretty impressive. And he kind of, he leans over to the executive and he goes, you know, have you guys seen this? Uh, have you seen this Zune? You know, what what's going to be kind of your your answer to this? And he says the executive leans over and he goes, it's a very nice MP3 player. And he didn't know at the time, they didn't tell Simon at the time, but they'd been planning the iPhone at this point in time. And so while everyone else was pursuing innovating around music, they were seeing one step ahead. So innovation is always kind of looking out to benefit the lives of people. You don't necessarily need to be market shifting though. There are micro innovations that you should be pursuing in your business, things that improve the lives of your customers, things that help you compete better, things that in a sense bring the aura of Christ, meaning the love and the awareness of who God is into the lives of those that you are serving. And so this is where we're gonna get into the topic specifically of how Christian innovation is different than secular innovation. And we're not really going to be splicing here, but we're going to be looking at the fruit therein. Now, I'm just going to be completely transparent. I am not from kind of the the faith background that believes that Christians should be the most successful, the most wealthy, the most, you know, um, entourage given people on the planet. I don't think that's why we are here. And so to that end, when I hear conversations about, well, you know, why are not why are Christians not at the top of like some of these massive organizations, or why are Christians not doing amazingly huge things? First off, in some areas, they are, but God has not called us just simply to climb mountains for kingdoms that are fading away. You look at Jesus when Jesus was tempted by the enemy in his time in the desert. They take him at the, to the top of a really high hill and they say, if you worship me, meaning if you become worldly minded and you give your posture of life to the world, what will I do? I will give you everything. As far as I can see, he tried to simba him. Jesus says, I have no use for kingdoms that I will not use or honor. Jesus already understood that everything was already given into his possession. What am I going to do with a worldly kingdom when a worldly kingdom does not serve my ends? And so as a Christian, if our posture, if our faith is actually being proselytized to be given to worldly ends, it's not that we can't find worldly success, but that worldly success is not unto the things of God solely. And so in that sense, we become double-minded. And this is what James talks about. What we want to do, what our heart's posture should be, is to ask the kingdom, what is it that we are supposed to be pursuing as people of faith? And so this is what we should be asking the Lord to do. So Christian innovation is solely different in that 
what we are looking for is the heart of God in a matter unto, unto change in the lives of those we serve. It's a love posture. You look at some people that are really innovating right now, folks like Elon Musk. And I have some some colleagues who absolutely adore Elon Musk. And they want to work just like him. And they do. They don't see their families at nights. They work until the after the kids go home um, or go to bed, rather. They work all through the weekends. And they intentionally want to be like him. And so they model their lives after him. And then they have dysfunction. Elon Musk is doing amazing things for the world. He is a pioneer, no doubt. But... He's gone through multiple marriages. His kids don't talk to him. And the background, the backdrop of his life is not healthy. And so if we as believers model the pattern of our lives towards something that is different than Christ himself, then we are going to have fruit in our lives other than the fruit of the kingdom. And this is something that we have to get, actually, I believe, is a conviction as Christian business leaders, a conviction deep in our hearts that what we are creating, what we are building is not another empire. We are not building just another piece of technology, just another thing in order to make ourselves more successful. And to that end, the ultimate goal for our businesses should not just be to create a really great and new product. Not that there is anything morally, ethically wrong with that from a a Christian perspective, but all of this stuff is going to disappear. It will not be here. We're not taking any of it with us. And so to be solely focused on those things is a misappropriation of what the Spirit has given us access to. So the key principle here, a little alliteration for you, is intimacy leads to innovation. Intimacy leads to innovation. What does that mean? For the Christ follower, innovation is not solely the outcome of pursuing the top of a market mountain or hard work. God is happy to give you mountains. Consider the parable of the servants with the talons. A couple important things in this parable. The first is that he gives certain amounts to people to steward intentionally. He didn't give the five guy 10. He didn't give the 10 guy 20. He didn't give the, I can't remember the last one, the one guy zero. (laughs) But he gave a certain amount to that person intentionally for the end of stewardship. We actually see this in verses about faith, too. We're not all given the same allotment of faith. And so there's a deep principle in here that there are mountains that you aren't meant to pursue. A slight parallel, a buddy of mine, a a friend of mine that I really love, he was actually the best man at my wedding, Mike, and... He was talking to me. He's an amazing entrepreneurial guy, uh, deeply invested in missions for most of his life. And he had it on his heart to go pray over, he's British, I think it was Parliament. 
and he was walking past a building and he decided he wanted to do spiritual warfare in the high places in order to take down um, some political things that he just didn't agree with. Good heart posture, mind you. And he started to pray and immediately he got shut down in his spirit and the Holy Spirit told him, you don't have permission to go pray over those things. I haven't called you unto that. And it was shocking at first, but it gave him a lesson in, in knowing what his life should be unto. In my own life, I remember very clearly there was, I had it in my, my, in my mind to go build a billion dollar company. And I did that because I wanted to build a billion dollar company. That's in a whole other conversation about intention. And the Lord told me, he said, that's never going to be part of your future. And it was a slight disappointment, but then it gave me clarity. Okay, what am I supposed to be doing? That does not mean that I won't necessarily be building large businesses or be part of large businesses. I typically work with fortunes. I've sold a company. I've been a part of an exit. That's going to be my realm, God willing, my entire life. But building a big revenue box for the sake of it is not going to be part of what he has called me unto. And that's really good to know because it gives us clarity about what it is we are, what is our intention in innovating? Because oftentimes we think about innovation for the sake of innovating. We want to be a cool company. We want to be better than our competitors. We want to be known for something. We have uh, vibrato behind why we choose to do what we do. But the Lord is saying, I want you to lay those things down for the sake of knowing me. So I've seen fantastic things in my own life from pursuing this posture. So as some of you know, I'm a consultant. I do digital product strategy. I help companies build entire platforms, typically really large platforms. And one of the cool things that I get to do is I get to enter into those things with a posture of prayer. And because of that posture of prayer, sometimes the Lord does really cool stuff. And I get some fun stories from this. One of the times I think I've told this story in the past, but a client of mine was wanting to solve a communication problem in their platform in a way that hadn't been done before for them. And this actually created conflict. How many know that innovation creates conflict because you have to wrestle with the challenge? I wasn't able to solve the problem in the way that they wanted it to be solved. I had offered alternatives. They didn't want alternatives. They actually wanted to be part of the way in which something was solutioned. Hello, client management. And I wasn't sure what to do about it. And we'd gone back and forth. Do you like this option? No. Do you like this option? No. Do you like, these are all technical, like technology driven solutions. No, 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 no. And it's starting to get a little bit heated. And so I don't have an answer and I've already invested tons of time in this talked about this in calling awaken to the purpose of your work and I don't know what to do. So internally I just start to pray and say, Lord, I don't have an answer for this. Do you have an answer for this near instantly? And it's not always near instantly, but sometimes, well, often it's pretty close to instantly, but instantly I got this picture and it was, it was like the matrix I got this picture of code being solved and I'm not like any kind of expert engineer and I saw how they wanted their problem solved and I saw a hidden code being changed 
in order to solve their problem. This is an example of what I call micro-innovation. We didn't shift a market, but we did shift a company. So I don't know quite what I've just experienced. And so I just tell him, you know what? I think we have the answer. And they go, excuse me? And I said, yeah, I think we have the answer. And they're like, what do you mean? Because we've just been like debating the answer. And so they're slightly skeptical, slightly coming off their frustration. Like, where did this come from? I said, I just tell them, I say, you know, I think the Lord showed me how to do it in prayer. And they go, excuse me? And I say, yes, I, I think through prayer, I just I just got the answer. Let's pause. Let me go test and see if this is a thing that will work. They're skeptical. We get off the phone. I go see if this is even a thing because, again, I saw it in my mind's eye. I've never, I've, I don't, like I said, I don't have the technical background that's really particularly deep. Sure enough, there was like a, a shadow language in between how users of software see things, how compilers compile things, and how things are presented. It's hidden code. And sure enough, by leveraging it, the computer knows it's there. It allowed us to do these communication things in ways that, you know, they wanted to do them exactly how they wanted to do them. It was amazing. And there was no way that I could have gotten this kind of knowledge. It was very specific, very technical, and I had no kind of purview to it in my mind. The Holy Spirit revealed it to me for the sake of glorifying his own name, because I got to have a conversation with this person about how I got this information. So God was glorified through the pursuit of trying to solve the problem. So this is what I mean when I say intimacy is unto innovation. My foundation for this thinking is from James. I know, can you believe something innovative and new came from James? It's not all just reproach, believe it or not. James 1.5 ESV, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. That word reproach has a lot of different contexts. In some ways, it actually means he gives it to us unrepentantly, meaning if we ask God for wisdom from him, not only is he generous with that wisdom, he doesn't repent on it, meaning he does not take it back. Sometimes we have this fear that if we sidestep if we go the wrong direction in our lives or in our business, that God is going to like turn the valve off on him working with us and partnering with us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So he's not going to ever turn his wisdom off. If you want his help, he is always unrepentantly there to help you. And if intimacy is the unto with your posture towards innovating for your business, then what happens is you start to build a culture of kingdom inside the way you solve problems. If you do something like affinity mapping or design mapping or user-centric, customer-centric design thinking when you build out new things for your business, bring the Holy Spirit into that process. However it is that you go about your pursuit of excellence, which is a whole other conversation, but bring him into it. And when you do, 
not only are you going to get net new ideas, but those net new ideas are going to keep you connected to the heart of God. You won't be alone on a mountaintop. Remember, in this sense, there's only one king of the mountain. I don't know why, 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 why. We recognize him as king in some parts of our lives, but when it comes to operating the business, we go, well, we're going to be king of the hill. Like, it's such a contradiction of reality once we're in the kingdom, right? <laughs> Just think about that for a minute. We got to lay some of this stuff down, but that does not mean that we are laying down excellence or the pursuit of the good or creating great things. It just means what is that stuff going to be unto? The difference between worldly innovation and, and the innovation that the Christian pursues, you can both be pursuing the one, the same thing. The difference is that one is unto becoming the king of the mountain. And when you're king of the mountain, who's getting the glory? You're getting the glory. And what that does is it has a self-deprecating effect on your lives. You become prideful. You begin to think of yourself as being the person who is the innovator. You become concerned with things of this world, meaning uh, managing uh, your reputation, the money that comes from it, being known as an innovator. Those things may come with your life, but they're not what your life is unto. Whereas the Christian's pursuit of innovation is actually intimacy. I am seeking out the heart of God on a matter. And when he reveals it to me, I am reminded that the trajectory of my life is under the banner of his guidance and his grace and his desire to live with me. And so I don't want to do anything to separate myself from that original intent, the light that he's designed for me and the way in which he wants my business to operate. Okay, so... How do we kind of apply this practically? The first thing to do is just do a heart check. Practically speaking, what is your unto? What's your reason for wanting to build something new? What's your reason for wanting to create a new product? What's your reason for wanting to be innovative? Let's just get the posture right on that. Once you have the posture right, or maybe you do have the posture right, start to make a habit of practicing James 1, 5. Ask the Lord for wisdom. We've talked about this before in Proverbs, but it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. You are a lowercase k king or queen born into a royal priesthood. If God, if you're trying to innovate on something, there's a good chance that it's been hidden on purpose and God is asking you to pursue his heart so that he can reveal it to you so that you understand how to build things in light of God's glory. I think we're going to talk about this next, next time I do a lunch break, is how God's intent for design and God's intent for glory actually creates the best things on the planet. Okay, my friends, have a fantastic week, and don't forget to think eternally. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and leave a quick review. When you do, it helps other entrepreneurs find this content and benefit from it too. See you next week.